You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. priority of this practical love is the family of God. Listen, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially the family of believers. There's the priority. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Greatest witness, numero uno, that we have to the world is by how we love one another in very tangible ways, very practical ways. Greatest evidence. You are to love the world. Don't neglect them for the sake of staying in the comfort of the church. Be generous with your time and resources, and especially with the gospel. But even more so, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. As Pastor Danny points out in today's message, it won't be your adherence to the Ten Commandments, how frequently you go to church, or how good of a person you are. They will know that you follow Christ because of how you love your fellow believers. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Notice the next verse. The Pharisees who loved money and heard all this were sneering at Jesus. They didn't like what he had to say. Chapter 16, verse 19, he tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man has a beggar laid at his gate. He must have passed by him often, but he doesn't reach out to help him at all. Came time, rich man dies. He wakes up in the grave in a place we call hell where there's fire. He's tormented. He's lost. And the sign in this life that he was lost is he just lived for himself and spent his money for himself and his own family. (laughs) Beggar dies. He wakes up in Abraham's bosom, place of comfort, where all the Old Testament saints went before Jesus died on the cross. And now that's been emptied out there with the Father. But it's interesting. The sign in this life, the evidence in this life, to which one was saved and which one was lost, the rich man was lost because He just lived for himself. And then you get to chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. It's the story of the rich young ruler. He also comes and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, I believe he was a very morally upright young man, respected in the community. And then Jesus said, well, there's one more thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. You'll have great riches in heaven. And it says he went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And despite his belief in God, despite his upright standing in the community, the evidence that he was not saved was what he was not willing to do with his money and his possessions. Amazing. This practical love, the priority is the family of God. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't lose me here. Didn't say we're not to love the world. But the priority of this practical love is the family of God. Listen, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially the family of believers. There's the priority. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Greatest witness, numero uno, that we have to the world is by how we love one another in very tangible ways, very practical ways. Greatest evidence. Paul writes in Acts 20, and everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If I really believe that, 
then I'll give more than I receive, if I really believe that. Catch this one, Ephesians. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Why? Because he became a Christian. But must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And the priority is the family of God. That's where it begins. Now, I want to give you some biblical and practical ways to live this out. Practical ways to prove that we are the real deal. We are Christ's disciples and children of God. And first is corporate giving. There's a lot of scriptures here. We're not going to turn to all of them. Acts 4, the first one, is the early church. And it tells us there that grace was upon that church. Much grace was upon them. And some people were being led. They would sell a field. They would sell a house. The implication is it's an extra house. It's an extra field they didn't really need. And they come and they bring the monies from those sales. And it says they laid it at the apostles' feet. They delivered it to the church. And then it says the apostles distributed it as people had need. This is corporate giving. And this is corporate distributing of the funds through the church leadership. You find that uh, several places. Acts chapter 11, the next verse there. A prophet named Agabus, a true prophet, predicts there's a famine coming on the entire Roman world, which will include Israel because Israel was under Rome in those days. In response to the prophecy uh, of this famine that was coming, the church began to corporately give to prepare to help people that were going to be in need when the famine hit. You read it. That's exactly what they did. Galatians chapter 2, when Paul uh, meets the pillars of the church, including Peter. And it says that Peter and these apostles uh, encouraged Paul to remember the poor, the very thing he said I was eager to do. And you read about 1 Corinthians 16, that Paul did that. The church in Jerusalem became a very needy church because of the famine, because of the persecution. And Paul, planning churches and going back and and encouraging those churches, he would take offerings. He gives practical instruction in 1 Corinthians 16 to lay aside a set sum on the first day of the week. That's the day you come together to worship. And he says, when I come, you set it aside every week so that when I come, no extra offerings will have to be made. And we'll be able to take that offering and deliver it to the poor saints. They appointed men to make sure there was accountability in the offerings. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me turn to that one because it talks about that very thing. And go look down at verse 16. I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending him along with the brother who is praised by all the churches. So he had a good reputation for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, accountability which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Now, don't miss chapter 9. This is so good. Chapter 9, verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, people receiving in a time of need and thanking the Lord because of the service by which you have Get this, verse 13, let me read it. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies 
your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You prove that you're the real deal because you opened your wallet. You opened your purse. You reached out in very practical ways. You proved by that that you're the real deal. There's a second practical way, and we've already looked at it. I'll just state it. Good Samaritan giving. This is when God puts somebody along my personal path in life, and I reach out in very practical ways to help them, and I'm not doing it to get a tax write-off. Listen, if you can get a tax write-off, anytime you can get one, get it, because those laws may not continue if Jesus tarries. But you're not doing it to get a tax write-off. Happened to me just recently. A guy broke down on the side of the road. I know the day we live in, we've got to be careful, danger and all that. But God led me, and I stopped. And a guy's truck was broken down. I took him to get the part. I paid for the part. And I get Jesus. I ain't tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you. I was more blessed than he was. Came back to the truck. I see a Bible sitting there. And I, I'm, like, I'm like, that's a good book you got there. And we began to talk about the Lord. He's a brother in the Lord. What a blessing. That's a good Samaritan kind of thing. It just happened. I was the one that passed by. God led me to stop, and I was able to help him in the name of the Lord. Good Samaritan giving. And then there's a third. Don't miss this one. Giving through church relationships. The priority, priority is the family of God. We, we love the world, reach out to the world, but priority, number one evidence. And we've been through this before, and the only people that get tired of me saying this are the people that don't do anything about it. That you come and you call Calvary Chapel. This is my church. This is my home church. This is right. Somebody asks you, where do you go to church? You say, Calvary Chapel. That's my church. Who in Calvary Chapel knows your need? Don't answer me out loud. I'm a- listen, it's a personal question. Who in Calvary Chapel? If you run on hard times in life, all right, who knows you well enough to know that you're going through hard times and has an opportunity to either reach out themselves or at least let the church know? Do you know they're going through this? Hey, maybe from your benevolence fund. And that's what we do with the Benevolence Fund. We call it our special needs offering. But maybe, maybe God wants you to reach out personally. But if nobody knows you. See, we're the body of Christ. I've said this before, but listen, we're the body of Christ. He's the head. He's the head of the church. We're the body. Sometimes Jesus wants to reach out to somebody that's a real Christian, that, that's a, a part of the church, but they're not connected with the church in a relational way. And so Jesus wants to reach out, but he can't reach out because you're not connected rightly with his body. Does that make sense? Now, let me ask you this. Sometimes God wants to use you to reach out, but you're not connected in such a way that you know somebody's need. Oh, you know their first name because you sit in the same chair and you got the few seconds to greet each other before I get up here with my big mouth. One lesson the book of 1 John teaches is that the journey of faith isn't meant to plateau. In fact, your relationship with Jesus is supposed to grow deeper and deeper, even to your final breath here on earth. Each new day offers you the opportunity to learn something new about your Savior and fall more in love with Him. Today, we'd like to encourage you to take some time to sit down with Jesus and your Bible and ask Him to open your eyes to something that you've never noticed before. Jesus loves to teach and shower His grace on you as you spend time with Him. We're so glad that you took some time today to learn from the living word with us. If you want to hear this teaching again, visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and we'd love for you to subscribe. 
When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today, or if you'd like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's info at ccfstpete.church. We count it as a privilege to lift our valued listeners up to the Lord in prayer. That's all we have time for today in our study of 1 John. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue digging deeper into Scripture right here on The Living Word.